0: part of the District of Wonders network featuring tales to terrify and the all new far fetched fables everyone has a story in the district of wonders come and find yours <laughs>
2: This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 448. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. A fine morning to record a fantastic Starship Sova. This week and next week, we're going to do a little run up to the Hugos. We've got Two novelettes that we're going to play, one this week and one next week, just to get you in the mood for the Hugo Awards that are coming up. And as you know, how good sister ship there. Tales to Terrify is in with a little shout. So Jeremy's put together this. And like I say, it, it'd be nice to kind of play them all, but, you know, so <laughs> possibly not, you know. But this one, Starships of Us, 448. Brook Bolander, what a story, man. And you shall know her by the trail of dead. But they say by Brooke Bolander. Originally appeared in Lightspeed Issue Fifty Seven. Audio produced by Skyboat Media. Brooke Bolander is half tornado, half writer. Originally from the deepest, darkest, swampiest regions of the southern U.S., she attended University in of Leicester from 2004 to 2007 studying history and archaeology and is the graduate of the Clarion 2011 Writers' Workshop at UCSD. Her work has been featured in Lightspeed, Strange Horizons, Nightmare and several anthologies including Year's Best Science Fiction and Fantasy 2016 a finalist of this year's Nebula Hugo, Sturgeon and Locust Ballads. Oh man Brookman! Oh. You are going there. You are going there, man. She currently resides in New York with her partner, their pets, and a small but grown army of arm house centipedes. Oh, way to go, Brooke. And like I said, you can just tell straight away that it's now Brooke's turn. Nebula Hugo Sturgeon. And I've kind of, you know, from a little kind of perch here, I just, you know, I've come across Brooke's name a few times there, so I'm certainly making waves. And this is what, you know what I mean? The cleverness about it. And you shall know her by the trail of dead. What a great title to catch you. Yeah, Brooke's got to deliver the goods once, you know what I mean? But just even to string that sentence together, do you know what I mean? That title together. I love titles. And if you can catch someone like a cover of a book, if you can catch someone... And, and then, you know, this, <laughs> once you've got them sitting in front of the, the Kindle or the, or the magazine to kind of come up with a story like this, is just fantastic. And it just kicks off straight away. Do you know what I mean? Fantastic. The story is narrated by Gabrielle DeCure. Gabrielle has narrated close to 100 books and many dozens of short stories specialising in science fiction, fantasy humour and titles requiring extensive foreign language and accent skills. Her velvet touch as an actor's director has earned her a special place in the audiobook world as a foremost director for best-selling authors and celebrities. The shortlist of those directed, Ray Bradbury, Carl Reiner, Deepak Chopra, Eric Idle, Eric Idle, no man, Nancy Cartwright, Michael Michael York, Michael York, Logan's Run, man, Gabrielle, wow, and loads of others. As a director-producer, Gabrielle has helmed Skyboat Media Productions of End As Games Alive, Lightspeed Magazine, Women Destroy Science Fiction, 30 Years of Treason, and most recently, Kickstarter-funded the recording of Harlan Nelson's City of the Edge of the Forever. And I got myself that as well. Do you know what I mean? Keep the kind of movement good, as we say. This is just a fantastic story and a fantastic narration. So,
3: the Starship Sova is very proud to present. And you shall know her by the trail of dead. By Brooke Bolander. The mobster has a gun pressed to Rack's forehead. The mobster has a god-shitting gun pressed to her partner's fucking forehead, and the only thing Rye can do is watch and scream as the man smiles at her and pulls the trigger and blows Rack's perfect brains out from between his ears. Rye has her guns drawn before the other Ganymede fuckers can twitch, but it's way too late. The damage is done and smeared across the walls and floor and ceiling, Synthetic blood and bone look exactly the same as the real deal. She puts three shots into the flesh slab that did it. He's dead, he's dead. Gods, fuck it, no, 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 no. And then the rest of his pals are on her, like the three times fucked human jackals they are, pulling her down. The room stinks of blood and gun smoke and fear sweat. For the first time in her life... Those smells make Rye want to gag. Her ears are ringing, whether from the gunshots or God knows what else, and it feels like the floor is falling away beneath her motorcycle boots. She's still struggling against their meaty fingers to reach Rack when the head goon breaks her nose with a squared-off fist the size of the moon he's from. She barely feels the bone snap. He's dead. He's dead, and the world is grayscale all the color leaching from it to pool around her feet in a red puddle. "'He was trying to crack at you, fucks! The fuck is wrong with you? He was coming out, he was going to try again! It was just a fucking hiccup! Jesus, fuck! Do you think you're going to get your cunting kid back now?' Her throat hurts from screaming. Blood from her nose is backing up into her sinuses, half choking her. She doesn't care. I'll kill you. I'll fucking kill all of you. You're fucking dead. Do you hear me? Let me go. Let me fucking go. We hired you and your partner to finish job. Nothing was ever said about quitting. The man says. His voice is heavily accented, breath reeking of onions and vodka. If Pretty Boy couldn't bring what we need out, Pretty Boy is useless, like tits on bull or useless cyborg bitch. His consciousness can stay inside box and rot for all I care. But, he pokes Rye in the forehead with one of his blunt fingers, I think you care. I think you care very much, yes? Yes, yes? I'm going to kill you, you fuck. She says it slowly, pronouncing every word with deathly clarity. I'm going to shove my gun up your ass and blow a hole so fucking wide a whale's prick wouldn't fill the gap. Not if you want partner back, he says, throwing an uplink cable at her. Plug in. Get data out. Get pretty boy, too, if you like. Fail and you die together. It's very simple. And because she does care, cares too fucking much, cares. And the sight of Rack slumped over in the chair with a neat round hole scorched into his forehead is squeezing at the heart she's always claimed not to have. Rye spits blood and hate in their employer's face and jams the jack into the port at the base of her skull. "'The first time she meets Rack, rise fresh out of the army and fresh back from one of the meat grinders the humans pay her kind to fight in. "'The children of wires and circuits aren't work a tinker's fuck compared to the children of real flesh and bone, so far as the world's concerned. "'The recruitment agents pluck her off the streets when she's twelve and send her to a training camp, and she's good with linguistics and better at killing.' so they keep her hands busy until she's twenty-five, and then they spit her back out again like a mouthful of cum. She has gray curly hair, cropped short, and gray dead eyes, and calluses on the inside of her palms, worn hard and horny from years of holding pistol grips. She's small and lean, which makes people underestimate her, but she's cool enough and don't fuck with me enough that most know to jump the fuck out of the way when they see her coming. The ones that don't get flashed a warning glimpse of her teeth and holsters. There's nothing funnier than watching some drunken flesh sack piss his drawers when that happens. One minute he's trying to grab a skin job whore's ass, the next he's looking his own death in the face and wetting himself like a goddamned baby. It never fails to tickle the shit out of Rye. She bums around the city looking for something to do, gets in a moderate amount of trouble in every district she lands. Her and the cops are on a first-name basis. It's touching. And finally ends up at the death matches, fighting her own kind for a quick buck in front of a bunch of screaming yahoos. Rye doesn't really do it for the cash, although money for smokes is always nice. She does it because... Killing is the only thing she's good at. And, quite frankly, she enjoys it. If the poor fucks she guns down didn't want to be there, they wouldn't be. They're all fucked. Everything is fucked. And the pain, at least, makes her feel something. Then, one night in the arena, her foot slips and the hulking, muscle-bound mountain of nanotechnologies she's peppering with shots catches up and busts three of her ribs and one of her wrists. Rye still manages to take him down one-handed, but even with the purse prize, she doesn't have enough money for a fixer. They toss her out into the alleyway behind the joint like a kid's broken toy, and there she lies. "'soaked to the skin from the oily rain "'that never seems to stop falling "'in this fucking gray ashtray of a city. "'And that's where Rack finds her, "'that clean-fingered, mild-mannered motherfucker. "'Why he's even there in the first place is beyond her. "'All she knows is that one minute she's huddling in a puddle, "'exhausted and hurting, "'and the next there's a hand extended her way, and a pair of sad brown eyes looking down at her. Fucking puppy dog expression. Clean shaven and thoughtful, and for fuck's sake, he was wearing a tie and carrying a briefcase. Can you believe that shit? And no matter how hard she glares at him, he won't fucking go. Rye shows him the grips of her pistols. And he just looks at her. Just fucking looks. That surprises her. She's not expecting young Mr. Salaryman to be stubborn. Fuck off, white collar, she says. Do I fucking know you? No, he replies, exasperatingly patient. But I know what it looks like when somebody needs a hand. Come on, let's get you out of the rain. She's hurting too bad to put up much of a fuss. He loops an arm beneath her own, and together the two of them limp back to his flat, getting oily water and blood all over his nice white shirt the entire way. If he had been smart, he would have left her where she lay. Fucking dumbass. Stupid fucking, noble, idealistic, kind-hearted, dumbass. Ongoing connection detected. Initializing connection handoff to interpretive interface. Handoff completed. Hey, Rye, come here. I made you something. It's like floating in black static, and all the pressure is sitting on top of Rai's head, sumo-style, pushing her further down. Lines of code play across the insides of her eyes. Floaters are annoying. This is fucking maddening. And it hurts. She can't keep a straight thought. Scalpels of pain are slicing through her brain over and over, and she fucking hates this cyberspace bullshit. It's Rack's thing, not hers. Rye likes her shit concrete. Rye likes having a body, north, south, east, west. You use your feet to walk in a direction, and then you shoot some motherfucker at the end of it. Finding Rack in here is going to be like finding a seat in an elephant's ass, especially if he's tangled up with the security system. He had sounded scared shitless over the comlink link before that waste of jizz up top had done what he did. Thinking about it makes Rye's currently non-existent asshole clench. So, find Rack, get him out of whatever pile he stepped into, and also somehow free up the data their employers want. Piece of cake, no problem. As soon as Rye figures out what form any of that is going to take, how to move forward, and which fucking way forward is, she'll go ahead and do that. Should have paid more attention in school. Should have actually gone to school. It looks like a chip, a tiny little chunk of plastic and wire no bigger than a twenty-two shell. He drops it into her palm, looking like a cat that's just robbed a canary store at gunpoint. She glances down at the thing, then back at him, the smile tugging at the corners of his mouth and the pride in his eyes. The hell is it? Establishing parietal operculum loopback. Success. Establishing posterior parietal cortex loopback. Success. Something about the script is nagging at Rye. A memory half clouded by booze, disinterest, and the obscuring fog of being so embarrassed by something she had willed her brain to forget all about it. Good God she actually blushed? Like a fucking schoolgirl with a valentine? Ryan never had been good at accepting kindness. Being loved didn't suit her. It's art. It's art, and it's one of a kind. And it's all yours. It's an interface like mine, but I cut out all the rendering hardware and installed a direct path to the soma-sensory cortices of your brain... You interpret the stimulus naturally, like poetry or music, and... (laughs) Rye, there are no words for this. Here, hook yourself up to the test deck. Log in with me. You need to see for yourself. Just say what it does in fucking English, Rackbaby. It develops metaphors for abstract environments. I put it together just for... Oh. Huh, well, that's something. You're sharp, motherfucker, Rack. You want a drink? And she had slotted the thing away in one of the ports beneath her hair so his feelings wouldn't be too hurt. Not that she cared, of course. And turned away so he wouldn't see her blush. Fuck. And promptly gotten herself so completely fucked up on the cheap whiskey they kept in the fridge that the rest of that night was an indistinct blur. That he had wanted her to plug in with him was not something she dwelled on, not something she had let herself dwell on. Fucking sentimentality. It was that sort of shit that got you killed. But it sure as fuck seems to be coming in handy now, this little gift of racks. The static shutters and flashes and things begin taking shape. She has a body again, and guns. And she thanks her brain for that, because she'd rather hop around in here on fucking stumps and hooks than be without some representation of her weapons. Another twist of the big empty, and there's dirt beneath her boots. A gray sky above, and a river ahead, and... Enhanced local motor, sensory homunculi detected. Offloading rendering tasks. Complete. Filling input buffer. 60%. 85%. 100%. Rendering buffer contents. Dead trees, dead grass, and a skeletal ferryman in a boat cowled and waiting. Joining up with Rack hadn't stopped her from doing much of anything, at first. She played the part of the hired gun on whatever jobs he asked her to. Beneath that quiet Boy Scout front was a mercenary mind the criminal underworld would spread their cheeks and wallets for, if and when they needed his skills— But rise time was her fucking time, and if she wanted to spend it getting blackout drunk or fighting in death matches until the street sweepers came out to mop up the hobo piss, that was none of his fucking concern. And, to Rack's credit, he never gave her any shit about it. He just bundled her into her bed when she came staggering home, stinking of bourbon and sweat, sewed up her cuts and swabbed out her wounds, and watched. Always with the fucking watching. Maybe she got a little reckless, more so than usual. Reckless or sloppy, the outcome was the same. She went into the ring with two good eyes to fight some knife-throwing motherfucker and came out a cyclops, blood and goo leaking from the sliced-up socket like candle wax. She's never been able to remember how the fuck she made it back to the apartment that night on her own. There's a big scene-missing card, and then she's perched on the bathroom counter while Rack dabs gently at the hole in her head, tight-lipped and trying so fucking hard not to let his concern show. Neither of them says anything for a while, but a question is gnawing at Rye, and she's drunk enough and lightheaded enough from losing all that blood to finally just ask, Hey, Rack, he rings the washcloth out and a slaughterhouse swirls down the plug hole yeah why the fuck do you care about anything i mean she shakes her head bloody water and antiseptic splatter the walls you know what humans say about us we're just fucking garbage to them "'God created their ancestors, but ours were made by Tom, Dick, and motherfucking Turing. "'We don't have souls, and they can just use us and throw us out,' she snaps her fingers, bang, like that. "'Better than ruining a real person's hands in the factories, right?' That kid on the assembly line? She's just a goddamned piece of synthetic trash. She doesn't dream about getting the hell out of the slums to somewhere better. So why give a fuck if that's all the world expects out of you? A beat. Do you believe them? Fuck no. For one thing, there's no such thing as their fucking God. A of horse horseshit. The only things you can rely on are these babies. She pats her guns, solid and safe in their holsters. But they got one thing right. Our lives ain't worth shit in a sewer, and mine least of all. So I'll ask again, what's with the caring act? What's in it for you? You think you're going to fix me or something? No, Rye, I don't think that. Then why? Why give a fuck? He shrugs, shooting her that wry little smile that never reaches his eyes. Hey, he says, finally. Everybody needs a hobby, right? That was the last death match Rye ever fought in. She kept the empty socket, got an eye patch, and aimed just as well with one eyeball as she ever had with two. She pays him in spent brass, the kind that gathers in your pockets and shirt cuffs after a day at the range or a night spent turning people into raw red meat. No reaper in Risehead head would ever bother asking for fucking pennies. He stretches out a bony hand, and the empty shells clatter into it like beer cans bouncing off a fen post. Ting, ting, ting. Lead on, motherfucker, lead on. Down the river and through the woods. And if the big bad wolf jumps out, you give him a lead tampon in his piss hole before he can say, hey, baby, what's shaking? It looks like all the rivers and canals she's ever known. Choked with old shopping trolleys and used condoms and rafts of yellow-brown foam, sticks by way of the city, stinking, oily slow, full of shit and bodies and about as good a metaphor for life as you could find. The only difference here is that all of the faces beneath the water belong to people rye put there. She's not guilty. Most of them deserved it. But she's still a little fucked up. They stare at her with accusing, fish-nibbled eyes. Some claw at the bottom of the boat. She doubts shooting them again would help anything, so she saves her bullets, lighting a cigarette instead. The smoke is warm and fuzzy inside her chest, comfortingly familiar, like sucking down a carcinogenic teddy bear. Do many of those fuckers get out? She asks Reaper Man. She can be fucking polite, no problem. But Mr. Skullhead doesn't give her a second look. Not even when she offers him a smoke. Less out of kindness and more because she's curious to see how the hell something without lungs would manage the trick. So she scowls and stares across the water with the coffin nail dangling moodily from her lips, chin in hand. To entertain herself, she starts trying to identify every dead person she sees. There are foot soldiers and foreign agents, low-level punks and pirates and even a police officer or two, other bounty hunters, cartel bosses, the kid that couldn't have been older than 15 that tried to stick her up that one time, not recognizing Rye for what she was. And yeah, even her first kill. The kitty diddling adoption agent with the wormy smile and the good-looking face. <sighs> Nobody had suspected a goddamn thing. As long as they're good-looking, they never do. Who the fuck were they supposed to believe? The street rat skin job with a rap sheet at age nine? It had been his blonde hair, blue-eyed word... "'against hers. "'He wasn't fucking pretty "'with all that blood spurting out of his mouth, though, "'and he sure as fuck "'ain't looking too good now "'with half his chin rotted off. "'Real or not, "'it gives Rise some satisfaction "'to see him stranded like a rat "'in the aftermath of a wrecked ship. "'She reaches down, "'avoiding the grasping hands. "'Her cigarette hisses and sizzles, as it grinds into his bloated forehead. He sinks back into the water like one of those poor amusement park androids stuck on a rail with a beam up their ass. Waste of a fucking cigarette, she says, and lights another. She actually feels kind of good after that. At least, until she sees Rack's face down there, too. The drag curdles behind her ribs and sticks like grime clotting a gun barrel. He's not real. She knows that for a goddamned fact. But Rye can't tear herself away from those sad eyes. The round hole dribbling black blood and river water down his nose. She watches him as they pull away until the distance between them stretches. And he's just another face in the crowd her hands have made. The river goes along, as rivers do, and then, out of fucking nowhere, like cockroaches circling the last can of cat food before a paycheck, suburban neighborhoods begin popping up along the banks. They stare down the bluffs with broken window eyes, Yards gone to weeds and dog shit and strips of old paint. Who would have thought hell had pink flamingos? The ferryman lets Rye out on a shore made of splintered bone and more spent brass. Why the fuck he needed that shit for a toll when there are dunes of it lying within easy reach, Rye doesn't know. She sets out for the houses without looking back. They'll meet up again soon enough for real, she figures. No need for handshakes, when she'll probably be back in the boat before her shelf life hits 40. Keep moving. Keep searching. Wading through drifts of dead leaves and candy wrappers, glancing into doorways, further up and further in. Uneasiness growing with each slow children at play sign passed and bombed-out, rotten-tired station wagon peered under. Rust, dust, plaster, styrofoam. Two-story brick hulks sagging at crazy angles, their multi-car garages gaping like slack-jawed drunks in a nudie bar. Shadows everywhere, beneath grimy windshields, in the alleyways, stacked thick behind broke-back Venetian blinds. Rye's been in friendlier combat zones. At least there you'll spot the occasional buzzard or scuttling cat. She's being followed by something, and that's not surprising. A good sign? If she's suddenly interesting enough to be getting the hairy eyeball, maybe it's the security system crawling out from under its rock to do some territorial pissing. She puts up with the peeping for another couple of blocks, then stops in her tracks. Look, you want to ask me to the fucking dance already instead of trying to peek up my skirts? Nothing. Not a big talker her stalker. Because, you know, if you do chicken shit to give me an invitation, I'm just going to go with the football captain. That motherfucker is dreamy and I hear he's got a dick like a goddamned science experiment. Nada but tree shadows, all the way down the block. Nothing. And then, three or four houses down, a shape stepping out into the street. It stands there on the curb, watching quietly, silhouetted against the ashtray sky. The sharp, familiar scent of a lit cigarette Punches through the stale air. Rye? Is that you? But it's not the figure speaking to her. This voice comes from behind, one she's been wanting to hear ever since she plugged in. Her breath snags barbed wire. She half turns to look back over her shoulder, against her better judgment. Holy shit, Rack. Where the fuck are you, man? I've been looking all over the place for you. Are you? No. Look. Look. Rye. you need to get out of here. You need to get out of here right now. I made a huge mistake. I underestimated the security protocol, and she's going to come after you, too, if you don't go. Don't worry about me. Rye. The shadowy shape is walking towards her. Rye's pretty sure it's not out selling cookies or spreading the word of the Lord. That's assuming I know how to fucking get out of here without you, man, she said. Her hands are already on her guns. And what the fuck do you mean by she? The purposeful walk has turned into a wolf trot. The light still isn't great, but she can see now that it's a girl about her height, about her build, same hair color, same way of moving. Wait. Wait just one fucking minute. Rack, this security program, I'm just, like, seeing my subconscious or some bullshit again, right? Right? The other woman is running now. Because if you've done what I think you did... I, um, motherfucker. I may have cribbed heavily from existing source material, yes. The woman grins as she sprints, still has both of her eyes. Four years ago, maybe? A copy of her at her most bitter and burned out, thirsty for blood and not caring whose. Let's do this then, she says, sighing. And there's no time for talk anymore. So there's this skin job kid that gets adopted by one of those high muckety muck Ganymede mobsters. He isn't exceptionally bright, and he sure as hell ain't a looker. But Don, whoever the fuck, has a bug up his ass because his biological clock is tick tick ticking away like a block of C4 is tenderly bear-hugging his testicles. Old fart needs an air. All those years of pushing baby carriages into traffic ain't going to count for shit if he doesn't have an air to pick up the slack when his heart valves do their last dance with the extra lard pork belly. He throws some money around, which is how he's solved every other problem in his bloated life, and hey, voila, instant sun. The boy is dumber than a sackful of skull-fucked squirrels, but that just makes him fit in with all the real mafioso squirts that came from ball sacks and bad decisions. Things go on swingin', as they usually do. Little Johnny Electro Nuts gets in his share of trouble, but Daddy is always there to yank his ass out of the fire with greased palms or greased dicks or a carefully administered dose of goon muscle to somebody's knees and groin. Then, one day, Kiddo gets the idea that he's some kind of fucking hacker. He's 19, and he's better protected than the Virgin Mary's holy of holies, and he's got a chip on his shoulder and a hard-on in his lucky rocket ship underdoos, just crying to fuck something up. He tries to bust his way into a rival family's black box, so he can crow about it to all his knuckle-dragging script kid buddies. This is what is known in the business as a giant fucking mistake. Because the security system in this motherfucker was set up by another motherfucker by the name of Rack. And Rack is a goddamned super genius when it comes to that sort of thing. It grabs the kid by the short hairs almost as soon as he plugs in and slams the door behind him. And when Don's cavalry comes busting in to save his ass... Their nuts land squarely in a bear trap. His consciousness is all locked up like a gold bar inside a treasure chest. They've got the box, but nobody seems to be able to get through to the toy inside. Nobody but the motherfucker who designed the system in the first place, that is. They offer him money. They offer him a lot of money. And less because of the money and more because he likes the challenge, Rack bites. And that's where things get fucked up. Dodge for dodge and faint for faint and bullet for bullet they come together the woman that was and the woman that is. The not rye is laughing like a kid at the circus, and she spins her hand cannons laughing and twisting and breathing in that gun smoke that turns your snot black like she's a barracuda and it's seawater. She doesn't give a shit whether she lives or dies, and Rye knows this because it used to be her. And suddenly she realizes, with something like shock and something like mild disgust, that this is no longer a truth that applies. Something inside Rye wants to make it out alive, Wants to go home to the shitty-ass flat with the bullet holes in the air conditioner. Wants to taste bourbon and cigarettes. And go right on living alongside that dumb-fuck brainiac like she has every day for the past five years. Dangerous. Very dangerous. The moment you start wanting is the moment you slow down. And the moment you slow down... Not right lands close enough that Rye can smell the burning wire and ozone stink of her over the reek of cordite and hot metal. She flicks one of the pistols like a gecko lapping up a mosquito, and it coughs emphysema and tuberculosis. And Rye's cheek is laid open to the bone, even as she rolls behind a row of trash cans, ears ringing like pulled fire alarms. She's a fucking idiot. She should have been scrapped at construction. She's going to die here, soft and stupid as a human cop, and Rack is going to be trapped inside this box forever. The mobsters are going to be fucking pissed when nobody comes back. Good. fuck 'em, And fuck their wives and moms and childhood pets for good measure. Were you trying to hit me? Or did one of those pink flamingos do something to piss you off? She says. If she can irritate not Rye into making a mistake, she might have a chance. Anything is worth a shot. The neighbors are going to talk, you know. No response. Too smart for her own good. God damn! she wishes Rack had held a less flattering view of her when he programmed this fucker. Oh, well. We'd have made shitty homeowners association members anyway. Rack, you all right? I think so. I wasn't exactly expecting this to happen when I went in. I thought, that was your first fucking mistake, Rack baby. You do too much of that anyway. She rubs her blistered, lead-stained fingers clean on her cargo pants and digs for a fresh magazine. Is there any way for me to disable her easier than giving her brain air holes? You could hear a gnat fart in the pause that follows. Rack, say something before I come over there and do some kinky shit to your ass with this gun barrel, please. I I don't know, he says. I I think I can do it, but you'll have to free me up first. Fuck a row of baby ducks, is that all? "'Let me send little Miss Red Rover a fucking engraved invitation "'to move her psycho ass to a new neighborhood, "'and I'll be right over with a bunt cake and a goddamn meatloaf.' "'But she's already tensing to spring back into the line of fire. "'Because of course she is. "'Up and at him, "'knocking the bins over clitter-clatter like a fuckball of feral cats. "'And sure enough, there is her shadow racing to greet her. four years younger, one eye richer,' and meaner than a limp-dick drill sergeant. No time to fire off a good shot. She says, fuck it, and goes ahead and launches herself straight into the other woman's knees, and down the two of them tumble in a muddy heap of fists and flailing motorcycle boots like a pair of overturned shot glasses, the world reduced to rubber soles squeegeeing shins and knuckles glancing off gritty wet concrete. Racks yelling something little-known fact, though. It's pretty fucking hard to focus on anything but the task at hand when the task is trying to club your teeth out with the handshake end of a pistol. She dodges the blow, and it glances off her temple instead with a hollow thwunk. Gasoline stars and flat-tire sparks shimmy-shake across her vision. No fucking way I'm blacking out! Her bone-sickle grin hangs overhead. The last thing so many other unlucky motherfuckers have seen at the end of a fight. Rye focuses on that sliver, wills the darkness back with clenched fists and a ghastly kiss. The thing with her smile is still laughing, but it's not some kind of mad villain cackle. She sounds like she's having the time of her life. What the fuck are you laughing at, dumb shit? See something funny? Not the wittiest thing to ever rasp its way out of her nicotine box, but whatever. Wit's the first thing to go when you've just gotten pistol-whipped in the side of the head so hard your brain thinks it's being skull-fucked to death by a rhinoceros. The grip comes down again, misses her by an ass hair, and judo chops the pavement so that little bits of gravel spray up like buckshot. If the girl-slash-security system that was her is sharp and not a dumb fuck, she'll use these precious seconds to turn her guns around and shoot Ryan in the face, like she's wishing she had just done herself. But, oh, glory of glories, blessed be the almighty fucking cockiness of youth. This little asshole right here, with her two dead eyes and her don't-need-anybody jock walk— curls her lip back in an are-you-fucking-serious sneer and swallows the bait deep.
1: "'Ah, come on the fuck on,
3: man!' she crows. "'You can't fucking tell me the thought of actually going up against somebody who can give you a fair fight isn't getting you all tingly in your grandma bloomers. Why the hell else would you come here? For him?' Fuck's sake, I'm you, aren't I? You live for sweat running under your tits and blood splattering your face, not some soft-farted fuckhead can't tell which way a magazine loads. Is that what he thinks I thought? Shit, there's a nasty little spoonful of glass to chew on. No time for guilt, though. Well, you got one part of that right, sister, she says, and jams her thumb into the girl's left eyeball. It's all executed in one smooth motion, jab, twist, pull. And then she's rolling across the wet ribbon of tarmac, while her not-self flails and shrieks, gurgling stray cat curses, rolling back on her feet and bringing up her guns to make an end of this. But even in a considerable amount of pain, the other her is fast in an unnatural make-the-flesh-of-your-ears-crinkle sort of way, slither snarling back beneath the rainy evening skirts before Rye can give the triggers a good hard prom night fingering. She starts to go after her, blood-boiling. You know what? A little voice in her head. The one that sometimes says things like, are you sure getting into that Gimp's windowless white van is a good idea? Or maybe we should go get that festering bullet hole checked out? Or, of late, don't punch Rack in the face. The poor bastard hasn't done anything to deserve it this time. In other words, her inner killjoy. What? Fuck pride, man. And just what is that supposed to mean, exactly? Pride is for jack-offs who aren't being hunted from the fucking shadows. Shut the hell up! She says this aloud in a hissed whisper. Hopefully the security system will laugh herself to death and Rye having a conversation with her invisible friend, and that'll be that. We're fine. I can do this by myself. I don't care what Rack says. Pride is for people who don't have other people depending on them. Rye snaps to a halt, like the bullet she's been expecting just drilled her brain a peephole. So why don't you try trusting your partner for goddamned once and get over there like he asked? Remember what we're here for. Go fuck your own ass with a fishhook dildo. Her shoulders are slumping before she's halfway through the word fuck. By the time she reaches dildo, she's made a U-turn and is vaulting the sagging picket fence that separates her from the back alley leading to Rack, feet thwop thwop thwapping the blacktop. She listens for the echo of her pursuit, but all she can hear is Rack's voice reeling her in and her own one-woman ticker tape parade careening down the path. Warm, warmer, red-hot, veering back off the pavement, crashing through briars and dead weeds and old tires like she's back in basic, up and over another splintered, gap-slatted privacy fence as weather-worn as a beer can in the ditch. It's not a pretty postcard that greets her. More weeds, more broken glass, a swimming pool filled with water the color and consistency of baby shit. Rack is there, though, tied up on the patio. And that qualifies it for garden of the fucking century, so far as Rye's concerned. She's down and off her perch and across the yard before she can remember to lazily saunter in like she doesn't give a fuck. His face is a bloodied bedsheet, haunted eyes staring out from behind the bruises and stubble. Rye wipes the blood from his split lip and they exchange a quick you-cool glance before she sets to work on the knotted ropes. It's not some romantic lovey-dovey kiss-your-boo-boos BS. It's just the kind of thing good partners do for one another. Been playing in Mommy's bondage closet again, rack Baby? Tisk tsk. You got a lot of splaining to do if we get out of here alive, my friend. She spares him another look from under her cocked brow, trying to keep it cool and even, wanting him to maybe twist in the wind a little. His expression is all thousand-yard stare, a nervous bird, herk-jerk, sheepishness, and syrupy adoration. Portrait of the Nebbish as Grateful Penitent He looks like he stuck his hand down a secretary's panties at the office holiday party, got a handful of tentacles for his troubles, and wanted her all the more for it after that initial moment of cold water surprise. For now, though, she finishes, after relocating her tongue and remembering how to use it, we need to figure out a way to clean up this goddamn mess. No, sorry, my bad. Your goddamned mess. "'cause I sure as shit don't remember giving you permission "'to turn my personality into a fucking security module. "'Can you see me? "'You're looking right at me, "'so I'm pretty sure you can see me.' "'We synced up as soon as you stepped into the area,' he says. "'The chip, you know?' Rye finally snake-charms the ropes into giving way, "'and he pulls his hands free, rubbing each wrist gingerly.' You could take fingerprints with the tired smudges beneath his eyes. I always wanted the interfaces to work together. Yours is one of a kind, but I gave mine a tweak, so... Ow! What the heck was that for? It's lucky for you that we're friends, asshole. Anybody else pulls some shit like this, and I wouldn't just suck them in the ear. How's this going to go down? "'Talk quick. She's way too quiet right now, "'and I have no idea how long that's going to last. "'It's... tricky.' "'Tricky? What exactly do you mean by tricky? "'Did you or didn't you say you could disable that fucking thing "'if I got you free?' "'I did say that. Yes.' "'Rack stretches the last word out until it wobbles.' full of more quivering butt than a strip club. I can give you a kill switch. Implementing it may require a little footwork, though, and I'm not sure how that will play out, considering our... environment. He waves a hand to take in the garden, runs the other through his hair, and ends up looking like an insomniac hedgehog. Well, considering our only other option is getting bullet-fucked to death by a pissed-off, admittedly foxy fine bit of code, I'm open to anything. What do I need to do? We'll need to execute two operations at the same time, and even then it doesn't have a hundred percent chance of working. I hadn't allowed for this. I can be sort of an idiot sometimes, as you are probably aware. Seeing him slump there, staring at his hands, feels like defeat. But she'll be fucked if she gives up that easily after coming this far. She punches him in the shoulder. Hey, none of that sad sack shit. You fucked up. Everybody does. If you're gonna wallow in it, I might as well have left you up there with your brains as pretty pink wallpaper. What the fuck will trying hurt, right? And that gets a slow, crooked half-smile out of him, which is all she really wants right now. It's like her heart just snorted a line. You're right, of course, he says. Goddamned right I am. She offers him her hand. Come on, let's do this thing. Their palms meet with an awesome, partnerly slap. Now, this is where Rye expects him to pull something cool out of his pockets. A couple of little red buttons, maybe, or a bundle of dynamite. Instead, he blanches. His hands fly up to his throat in the universal, ''Oh, shit, I'm choking'' gesture. For a horrible fistful of seconds, she thinks she's going to have to do the Heimlich. How the fuck does that work, anyway? Is that the move where you grab the other person from behind and give them a rough humping? But, thankfully, he shakes whatever's in his throat loose on his own. Something small and heavy bounces off the toe of Rye's boot. Another, like a fat brass raindrop. She reaches down and carefully picks up two nine-millimeter bullets. bright as change in a gutter. Rack peers down at the lumps of lead and metal he just hairball-horked onto her boots. If he wore glasses, she just knows he'd be adjusting the fucking things for a better look. Huh. I guess it makes sense that they would take this form. So these are what? Special? Magic bullets? They feel like normal rounds. They even smell like them, which is to say metallic. She rolls them between her fingers, warm from the heat of her hand. Kill switches, whatever the fuck you call them. Correct. Ideally, you'll discharge both simultaneously, shutting down the security system completely. There are pros and cons to knowing somebody. Really knowing somebody. How their face looks when they cry or cum or drool in their sleep. Rye understands what rack means immediately. You're the fighter. You're strong. So, of course, you'll take care of this on your own. She could say no. She could open her chest with a scalpel and let him see the tender bits. I can't do this alone. She's too good, and I care too much, and quite frankly, I'm scared shitless for you and for me. Or she could tell him, "'Hey, clean up your own goddamned mess. I ain't your fucking nanny.'" But she knows how this has to go down, truthfully. And it doesn't involve telling Rack to piss up a rope. She'll save that for a later date. Instead, before she can second-guess her decision, she pulls one of her pistols, ejects the magazine, thumbs one of the kill switches inside... And shoves it into his hands. There. Done. Rack stares down at her sweet, lethal baby like she's just handed him a dead cat. She won't be expecting you to have one of my guns, she says, by way of explanation. Her voice is hoarse. Chopping off one of her hands would have been easier, if less useful. I sure as hell wouldn't, if I were her. Safety's off and it's ready to go. All you gotta do is point and pull. Careful your thumbs aren't behind the slide, unless you want to get bit. Does he understand what this is costing her? In pride, in trust, in all of that stupid emotional stuff? He looks back up at her. Stunned, doesn't begin to describe the expression on his face. And his eyes are wet and glassy. Rye. I I can't. Yeah. He knows. Ah, hell, don't go getting all wet cereal on me, man, she mutters. Making sure her remaining pistol is loaded and racked suddenly becomes very, very important. Just make sure you're close when you fire, all right? I don't... pop. Of course, Miss Security doesn't come over the fence. Why would she bother? The only warning is that soft, sudden pop, like a blood bubble bursting on a dying man's lips. And there she stands, herniated out of the nothing because... Oh, right, she is the fucking nothing. Rye has just enough time to grasp that they've been played, and just enough time to push Rack down and back, and no time at all to do anything else but brace for impact, as not Rye slams into her, and they take a backwards trust exercise straight into the pool. It's in her nose and her ears, and her eye socket, and it's warm which is somehow the worst part. A warm green slurry pressing against her skin, turning everything to frogs and fungus and body temperature pea soup. Fingers scratching at her throat and her one good eye, looking to throttle or blind or both. Spots wriggling tadpole trails across her vision. She pushes out in slow motion, catches her attacker in the chest, tries using the momentum to pull away. No dice. It's like karate-kicking an amped-up octopus. They sink deeper, the light fading to darkness, seconds rubber-banding to grim, doubtful decades. And this is what I'll get for trusting Rack with my back. Should have gone with my instincts. Trust fucks you. It fucks you every time and puts a knife in your windpipe while it's at it. Lungs already beginning to ache. Can't grab for her gun, because both her hands are busy keeping not rye at bay. Nobody'll come to save you, idiot. Or if he does, he'll get here about ten seconds too late. Let this be your final lesson about going home with strangers. The security program's good eye glitters in the gloom, black and triumphant. Gotcha, you fucker, it says. And it's the language of sharks she's speaking now. No mewling monkey noise is needed. Don't even have to waste a bullet. She leans closer. Rye has a sudden nightmare flash of her opening her mouth to show double rows of pointed teeth all the way back to the place where her jaw hinges, eager to choke, to rub out, to self-destruct. Rye would keep fighting, but there's seven feet of scummy water overhead and a tangle of grasping limbs dragging her further downward, and God fucking damn, she's tired. She can't even spit in her rival's face. It is at this perfect moment of physical and emotional exhaustion, with her arms pulling the fire alarms and her legs turning to full clips of concrete, that Rack chooses to dive into their underwater cockfight, like a toaster hurled slots down into a bathtub. He arrives with a muffled splash, churning up bubbles, froth, muck from the bottom, algae from the surface. Now it's not Rye's turn to be surprised. She spins around to face this new threat. Occupied, she's not paying attention to me. My hands are free. Lip curled, shoulders hunched, not a happy camper. She thought this was going to be a one-on-one, and turns out it's a threesome. She's all over his shit, faster than you can say piranhas in the kiddie pool. And now the grip's solid in my hand. It'll fire. It'll kill if we're close enough. I believe in you, baby. Air, air, air! The water's a whirlpool of bodies and spume. Rye is dying by inches now, another half minute and her lungs will burst. But not before she does what she came here to do. She pulls that heavy, heavy gun up, the weight of a lead cannon in her hands. She waits for visibility to clear, and when the bubbles finally part and Rack's eyes meet hers... She's got her hands around his throat, but he's letting her. So, calmly, and she'll never notice the pistol kissing the underside of her jaw until it's too late. She shoves the nuzzle of the nine millimeter snugly against Not Rye's back and sends a prayer to Lady Luck, that goddess all gunslingers kneel to. Rack and Rye squeeze the triggers as one. The way good partners do. They find the kid balled up in a basement jail cell, groaning and bitching about his head. It looks an awful lot like the one Rye spent her formative years gracing, but Christ knows what the kid sees. Good-looking, late teens, perfect teeth and hair and body model. There's something wrong with the expression, though. Even confused and fucked up in the middle of a strange system, he's sneering an entitled sneer, that makes Rye's fists curl like dead spiders beneath a radiator. I always get what I want, it says. Why wouldn't the world bend over and give it to me? Sorry about the wait, Rack says. Ran into a little trouble. He fumbles in his pocket for a key. Doing all right? The kid's eyes dart wildly. A little trouble, he says. You call this a little trouble? I can't fucking move, and you think that's a little trouble, fuckface? Suck both my balls, man. Hey, hello? Are you still there? Are you listening to me? Rack doesn't look up, just calmly keeps on doing what he's doing. Rye can feel her molars grinding together. Rack... Can you hurry it the fuck along? I don't know how much longer I can put up with this shit. Get what I'm saying? Absolutely. A click, and the door to the cell swings open. Rack steps back and nods at the kid. So irritatingly professional, Rye can hardly stand it. Someone will be by to collect you shortly, I believe, he says. Your body is waiting outside. Goddamned right it is, you no-nuts bitch. Kid, you talk to him like that one more time, and I'm going to blow both the balls you're so proud of off in a place where they ain't pretend and don't grow back. Fucking got it? I don't care who your daddy is. Rye can feel a headache gathering behind her eyes. Time to get the hell out of here and go the fuck home. Her mattress is calling. Come on, Rack, let's go. Compress your ass. My headspace isn't what you'd call flying first class, but it's better than the company in here. There's a sound like bacon hitting a skillet, loud enough that the kid's bitching is blessedly drowned out. A glowing door pops up at the end of the row of cells. She's got to hand it to Rack. He's nothing short of a goddamned wizard when he's free inside a program. Rye grabs his hand and gleefully sets off for the exit, "'feeling more cheerful than she has all day. "'A little nervous about letting Rack piggyback inside her melon. "'Maybe... "'There's shit in there she doesn't want anyone poking at, "'even her partner. "'But mostly too relieved at having him back to care. "'He lets her pull him along. "'Doesn't say a word, just smiles and follows. "'Tie flapping like a pirate's banner.' in the weird wind pushing from the entryway. The light from the door is the cold flickering white of a fluorescent bulb burning in an abandoned department store. They stand there staring into the static for what seems like ages. She doesn't let go of his hand. He doesn't let go of hers. Rye wonders if it'll hurt or feel weird, or if she'll be the same once it's done with. She sucks in a breath. Now or never, woman. Leave it to Rack to wait for a second fucking invitation. Well, she says. You waiting for me to buy you a ring or what? And that's when she finally catches the look in his eyes. The sadness of the little smile quirking the corner of his mouth like a fishhook. She knows that fucking expression. She hates that fucking expression. He's not telling her something. And that something is going to sting. Rack, she says. Rye. It doesn't work that easily. I can't just compress myself without a console and a body to work the console. That's beyond my capabilities. For once, Rye is at a total loss for words. She gapes at him, mouth hanging open like a second useless asshole. It takes a full minute for her to push anything out. Bullshit, she manages. Stop fucking around! You're some sort of goddamn superhero in here. You unlock things, you make doors, you design this motherfucker. There's nothing you can't do. Panic creeping up her spine with tiny naked rat feet. Can't shoot her way out of this one. There's got to be something, a a trick, or a program, or... His voice is infuriatingly gentle. Without a body? Compression is tricky. If I did it wrong, even assuming I could, from inside a system like this, one of us could get hurt. You could be erased. That's not a risk I'm willing to take. Okay, fine. I'll come back, then. I'll get you a new body and come back. He's slowly shaking his head, even as she says it, and Ry's pissed. At Circumstance, and the mobsters, and Rack and everything that hops, crawls, or breathes on this godforsaken planet. I'm not leaving you here, you colossal fuckhead! Do you know what I've gone through to fetch you out of this box? Once they've pulled the kid, do you really think they're going to let you back in for me? They'll erase everything on here just to teach their rivals a lesson. He sighs. Look, There's a locker in Brickton. The Combinate... Fuck your money, Rack, and fuck you, too! Did you not hear me the first time? Stop looking at me that way, stop looking at me that way, stop looking at me that way! Her heart is clawing its way through her sternum, like a bum plowing through a back-alley trash bin. She's got him by the tie, hands shaking, throat aching. Take the risk, she says. Do it! And then, please! I can't. I'm sorry. They're nose to nose and forehead to forehead. And now it's Rye who's shaking her head. She can see a way out and she knows he won't agree to it. But fuck him and fuck a world without him. That's not a decision he gets to make. No, she says. No. You ever hear anything about those old ships people used to sail? Protocol for wrecks and all that shit? His brow furrows into confused little wrinkles. She'll miss that. She'll miss a lot of things about him. What does... I'm tying your ass to the mast. You've got no say in this, Rack. When you get done with my body, put it through a wood chipper or something, all right? Rye's push carries him over the threshold and into the white before the stubborn asshole has a chance to argue. His tie stays wrapped around her fingers. Fluttering the goodbye she couldn't bring herself to say. Unlike his partner, he's not prone to bouts of rage and profanity. She explodes all over the place at intervals you can almost set clock hands to, like a geyser or a volcano or some other natural phenomenon. Beautiful to see, if potentially life-threatening to anybody within close range. Rack, though? Rack's different. If Rye is old faithful, Rack is a glacier. Cool-headed, steady, and inevitable. Excesses of emotion do not become him. When he comes to inside her body, the first word that bursts in his head, like a soap bubble giving up the ghost, is SHIT. A great big neon SHIT, all four letters glowing the lurid red of a 3 a.m. traffic light on a stretch of empty road. The dimly lit warehouse is full of equally dim goons. Six of them are alive. There were seven when he plugged in, but that dark smear on the concrete floor suggests Rye's been engaged in some basic subtraction since then. All of them remain armed and extremely twitchy. A room full of semi-automatic carrying cats in a rocking chair factory, ready to pop off if so much as a moth flutters near one of the grimy windows... Rack knows how trigger-happy they can be. The slumped cicada's shell of his body in the corner is testimony enough, if any were needed. The big boss's foot is tapping out a patent-leather Morse code that, roughly translated, probably comes to something very impatient and vaguely threatening. The kid's still stretched out on his hospital gurney, dead to the world. The mess of wires and cords connecting him to the black box on the desk makes Rack think of a kitten hopelessly entangled in a ball of yarn. A scruffy, obnoxious kitten, in desperate and immediate need of drowning. Rack would be happy to oblige. There's an unfamiliar emotion that came along with the big neon shit. He's reasonably sure it's cold anger building towards fury, but... All eyes are on him. Done! Big Boss sounds like a side of beef being dragged down backcountry gravel. Rye's eye patch splits him into dual hemispheres, the seen and the unseen, disorienting enough suddenly being in a new body, her body no less, with a mysteriously bloody nose, without adding visual impairment to the mix. Yeah, Rack says, only it comes out in Rye's voice. And that, as she would say, is a whole dump truck of what-the-fucking-fuck landing on his senses. All yours, Chief. You gonna send your tech in to collect Junior's codes so I can get the heck... fuck out of here already? A sharp, all-too-familiar click from the dark side of the mook. Ten to one, it's not a wedding band he's holding in his unseen hand. You will be doing this as well, seeing as how you felt the need to... What are the words? Earlier retirement, my computer man? He nudges the shiny toe of one shoe at the stain on the concrete. Oh, right. How would you have gotten out of this one? You couldn't access a code for brine in the middle of the ocean. He's neck deep in a slurry of anger, frustration, fear, and love. So much for his much lauded control. The valve is broken. The water rising. Sure, he says, after another long, soupy moment. Because Rack is not entirely human, he can see all the possible ways this lock might turn. A shootout? A hostage situation? Piles of dead mobsters? Lakes of blood? The hard-bitten damsel in the box safe and saved? And could it be possibly even grateful? Reach out and twist the meaty wrist. Hear that satisfying snap of bone like a cheap plastic chair leg bending the wrong way. A metallic clatter as gun and floor slug it out. Be an action hero. Take the shot. Use her body like the weapon it is. Rack's not big on weapons or violence. Before today, he'd never fired a pistol or snapped a man's wrist. Rye, as she would quickly tell you, is no fucking damsel, nor is she any person's gun but her own. Trying to use her would inevitably blow up in their faces like a cartoon birthday cake studded with sticks of dynamite. Instead, gods of gratuitous violence and swaggering machismo be good, Rack spins the tires of his mind until they throw twin rooster tails of oily muck trigger-bitten fingers, tango across the keyboard, coding a different future. He may not be any good at murdering mobsters, but he's a goddamned pro at killing time. I hope I'm doing the right thing. The problem with making any move, of course, is that you never know what the outcome will be until the chips have fallen, even if you've got a brain manufactured in a factory crash, and a childhood's worth of experience cheating card sharks out of their greasy retirement funds. A guess, however educated, is still a guess. A white-collar criminal adjusts his tie in the heart of the city, because it's goddamned hot, and the A.C.'s gone out, and there's nothing to drink but rye whiskey, and if his partner sheds one more article of clothing, he's going to go outside and club his crotch to death with a loose brick, and a tenement flat 300 miles away collapses into rubble and rebar and a bloody jigsaw of limbs. At the long, dark end of things, hoping for the best is all you've got. Rack breathes out letters and numerals and hope through their fingertips. Clickety-clickety-clack. The screen fills up with green and black. The kid twitches on his slab. He's Frankenstein. He's a zombie pumped full of chemicals. He's a greasy-haired son of a bitch with a face no factory in its right mind would take credit for, sitting upright on his bed at the cost of the only person Rack's ever loved. Every head in the joint swivels to watch him as he blinks and gapes. Is it man, machine, or goldfish? Rack feels something heave in the direction of his, her, stomach, like a wet dog giving itself a shake. Keep it together, boy For her. For both of you. Big Boss, like everybody else, seems too stunned by the sight to even give the kid a hand. He stares at his beloved progeny, as if the boys just sprouted a pair of assholes where his ears should be. Son, he says. A slow, joyous smile creeps up the coffin length of his face, hands down one of the most disturbing things Rack's ever seen. Son! How are you feeling, my darling boy? No response from the kid. His legs are dangling over the side of the gurney now. The pearl-handled grips of the big, expensive pistol strapped to his sides Play peekaboo beneath the fabric of his coat, dancing in and out of Rack's limited line of sight. Show off guns, Rye had scoffed when she first saw them. Kiddo probably had a prick like a bedbug and the aim of one of those drunken seven year olds that used to hang out behind the apartment dumpsters. Even with Rye's less than charitable assessment of the punk's skills ringing in his memory, there's something about the pistols that keeps dragging Rack's eye back. He watches them, and he watches them good, holding his breath. Trailing wires, head down, the kid lurches to his feet. His daddy's goon squad unfreezes and rushes to catch him before his delicate ass can hit the floor and catch a bruise. He shrugs off their hands. The gentleman will be seeing himself out, thank you. With precarious, rubbery grace, the kind baby animals and drunks possess in spades, the kind no sober adult has ever been able to accurately mimic, he pulls himself upright, takes a step forward, and lifts his head to get a better look at his surroundings. He scans the room, Expression becoming more and more confused. Takes it all in mobsters, brick walls, bare bulbs, bloodstains, and finally reaches Rack, at which point his brow ceases to furrow and begins sinking a mine shaft to his frontal lobe. Wait, he says. What the fucking fuck? Rack? What in the fucking piss just happened? Oh. A light bulb flickers behind his eyes. Scratch that. It's more like someone throwing the breaker on an entire row of houses. Oh. He pats his sides like a man looking for his keys. He finds the twin lumps nestled beneath his armpits. He takes a peek under the coat, just to make sure they're not vibrators or candy bars or Bibles, and then he looks back up at Rack, grinning a slow, impossibly wide cartoon shark's grin. You son of a motherfucker, he says, admiringly. Rack knows that grin. Even on someone else's face, he knows it. His heart bucks around so wildly, he's afraid he might black out. And then, he's suddenly locked in a kiss. She's fast, never mind the unfamiliar body. And the weirdness of the situation isn't even registering for either of them. It's all adrenaline and relief and a sort of drunken, invincible glee. There's greasy hair in his good eye and stubble against his lips. She tastes like a chain-smoking asshole that just underwent a malt liquor enema. Fucking perfection. And now she's pulling away. Yanking those pearly white grips out of their sockets like a dentist riding a meth binge. And the Ganymede crew never even knew what's hit it.
0: For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: There you go. Big thank you to Brooke Bolanda, Brook Water, you know, in. good luck. That's all I can say. Good luck. Stick in there. Keep on writing. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for Skyboat Media letting me kind of, you know, use this as well in Lightspeed Magazine and Gabrielle. What can I say, man? Oh, the Velvet Touch. Certainly. Thank you so much. So, that was week one of our hu- little little kind of taste app for the Hugo Awards. You know what I mean? Next week, we've got one more. And it's just like a little run up to kind of get you in the mood for the Hugo Awards and then past that, as we always do each year, and carry on into the the, the depths of space. Now, I've noticed as well, and I, I didn't know Jeremy, but Jeremy is now a fair land of the UK. And he's just kind of getting in, I think, yesterday, the day before. So I'm guessing he's all over the place with times and, you know, sleeping patterns and everything. We're going to try and meet up, but... Where are we? we're off the, we've just come, you know, how lucky is that? We've just come back from a, a week's cottage in, in Scotland with the dogs, which was, man, beautiful. Seals in the water every morning. I would walk down in jammies, have a cup of coffee on the beach, honestly. And those seals and the dogs were kind of just pacing around. It was just gorgeous, man. Absolutely gorgeous. And, yes, we're walking back from, Port Patrick, which is a kind of about a quarter of a mile little few pubs and restaurants you know where we were kind of staying and a young gentleman runs up to me wife right and says uh is are you mrs smith and oh yes yes oh i get this i recognize your dogs and is that you know is that tony smith there starships Over podcast and here it's a, a young gentleman tim humble who's been listening to the thing kind of, and he says he's been listening he needs a bloody medal tim listening for kind of 10 years do you know what i mean and just he says he kind of you know he lost lost his track but he's back on there now and he recognized the dogs first then he had the balls to kind of go up my wife you know what I, mean? I would never you know what i mean do that i'm just such a shy kid anyways and then the wife says to us Melanie, the wife, the Melanie says to us, to come here, come here. You know, well, by the time I left, I was like a kind of big banty hen, do you know what I mean, all puffed up, proud as anything. So, Tim, it was lovely to meet you. And honestly, like you say, we were on probably the remotest edge of England, cliffs to one side, do you know what I mean, blowing a gale, kind of just dramatic scenery. No one else really there. And Tim pops up. So, Tim, it was lovely to meet you. Thank you so much. So, look out for next week's Hugo, Hugo nominee in Best Novelet. I will see you then. So, until next week, I would just like to say good night from me.
1: Will our heroes survive this terrible ordeal? Can they win through with their integrity unscathed? Can they escape without completely
0: compromising their honour and autistic judgment?
3: Tune in next week for.
0: Next exciting installment of Social Sofa, up,
3: what
1: was that?